Thank you for listening to this message from Waynesboro Free Methodist Church. Our mission is to multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. We hope this message helps you along your journey. Just a, a few quick words. I want to first say that I am incredibly grateful for our worship team. Whether they are out of town and we just have a few on stage or the full band, I'm always grateful for the ministry that they offer to our church and to our family here. On another note, um, I, I didn't mention this earlier, but I also just want to kind of tell you that if, if you do know um, Freddie Batten, if you know Tanise, if you know Renee Walter, who uh, just had the memorial for her mom yesterday, if you know them personally, I would really encourage you to just reach out and, and, and tell them that you love them and that you would, uh, are praying for them and, and maybe pray with them if you can, because I know that they would really appreciate that. So make sure that you're loving them well. Go ahead and get your Bibles out. Turn to Romans 3. Romans chapter 3 is where I want you. And no, the uh, slide that's on the screen is not a mistake. We didn't accidentally leave it there from last week. Uh, do you guys uh, remember how, uh, like, years ago when TV first started being a thing and series started coming out, and, like, you had all these really popular shows, uh, some people think it's like Friends, some people would say Full House, and now in our day, those series are long gone, but you're kind of waiting for that uh, reunion episode to happen, right? You want all the friends to get back together. Um, like, so the series was done last week, but this is like the reunion episode, basically. This is just like the tack on, uh, because there's some stuff that I really think is still vital that could fit right under this glove, right? The glove fits for this, and I think it's important for us. So Romans chapter three is where I want you. And let me start off by uh, sharing with you uh, an article that I read uh, in the newspaper a little while ago. It's an article that was titled Facebook, okay? So just pay attention. It's, this is what the article said. I am trying to make friends outside of Facebook while applying the same principles. Therefore, every day I walk down the street and tell passersby what I have eaten, how I feel at the moment, what I have done the night before, what I will do later and with whom. I give them pictures of my family, my dog and of me gardening, taking things apart in the garage, watering the lawn, standing in front of landmarks, driving around town, having lunch and doing what anybody and everybody does every day. I also listen in on their conversations. I give them the thumbs up and tell them I like them. And it works just like Facebook. I already have four people following me. Two police officers, a private investigator, and a psychiatrist. <laughs> now, of course, it's accomplishing its end of making us laugh. But I noticed something in the article that I think needs some analyzing. Because it communicates a pretty strong trend in our culture today, in our society around us today, and how a lot of the generations uh, that are still available today are, are behaving and interacting with one another. And it's this trend, it's the trend of making sure that other people know or are as informed on my life as I want them to be as informed because they need to know about my life. They need to be informed about me. As subtle as it is in this culture with this social media thing, the, the underlying principle ultimately is your world starts with me, with, with a lot of how we function on social media. Your world starts with me, so when you wake up in the morning, I want to make sure that you can scroll right to my picture and see how great my day is going. I need you to be informed of that. 
Or or I want you to be able to see my breakfast, or I want you to see just how bad of a makeup day I had. Or or maybe I want you to really see how super spiritual I am, so I've got a picture of, of my Bible with a good cup of coffee right there in my journal, and the Bible's totally underlined, and I've got a quote underneath it that just shows you just how really spiritual I am, because I need you to know that about me. That's a lot of how we function, right? Our culture, our society is starting to think that it all starts with me, that it all starts with we. And that makes it incredibly difficult when you and I try to go into this secular world this modern world, and communicate a biblical mindset because the biblical mindset starts with a different reality. It doesn't start with me. It starts at a different point. So regardless of whether or not anybody believes in God, right? regardless of whether they affirm his existence, the secular mindset from man starts with man as the basic reality of the universe. It has to, right? It starts with me as the center of all that I understand about life. And because I have basic rights, because I believe I have basic needs and basic expectations, from there, I move out into the world and interpret everything going on around me from the lens of my rights, my needs, my expectations as the measure of all things. And so because our culture disciples us to start with ourselves as the most basic reality, when we look to the problem that the gospel presents and the solution that it provides, we look at it from me as a sinner. We looked at it from ourselves as the center of its purpose. So the cross, for example, addressed my need for salvation, right? It won my freedom from sin. It made me righteous and justified me and gave me eternal life. Don't get me wrong. So far, it may sound like that I'm totally against the gospel and just don't like social media. That's not true. Social media has a good place in the world. It can be used for a lot of good things. The gospel, obviously, these truths, my salvation, my freedom, my righteousness, my eternal life, I love those things. Don't get me wrong. Those are wildly important in my life. But the biblical mindset begins with a radically different starting point, and that's God. God is the basic given reality of the universe. He was there before we were in existence. He was there before anything else was in existence. He is simply the most absolute reality. So God is the starting point of how we perceive everything going on around us, right? God is the center. He is where we start from and move out into the world and we interpret everything going on around us with him as the measure of all things. And so because of this shift in our perspective, because of the the reality of the gospel, I wanna do something this morning I wanna wanna help us look at something that we often look at from a me perspective, how the cross addressed my needs and fixed my problems. Now, I don't wanna minimize it to just that, but but I I, I wanna take some time this morning to show you that there's a lot more God involved in this than there is me. 
I want us to take time this morning ultimately to look at the cross from God's perspective. Because what we're going to find out today, something that might sound a little controversial, is that Jesus didn't just simply die for God. Sorry, no, he didn't just simply die for us. He died for God, right? He didn't just simply address our needs and our problems on the cross. He died for God. So you know how when you get to those articles and they're just the radically weird title, it's called clickbait. You click on it. I hope I have your attention right now and you're interested in what I'm about to say because I just said that Jesus died for God. So pay attention. Romans 3, 21 through 26. That's what we're gonna be reading this morning. And as we're reading, make sure you pay attention to the most commonly repeated words because that's where we're gonna get our theme. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So what was the most repeated word that you saw? Righteousness. Yes, righteousness. That's the main theme of this passage. Righteousness means perfection. It means absolute moral virtue, to be perfectly right. So we're talking about God's absolute moral perfection, how there's no wrong in him. That's what's at stake in this text. That's what's being argued in this text. And so we kind of, I'm going to summarize up to verse 25. So in verse 21, uh, we start off seeing that God's righteousness can be seen somewhere else other than the Old Testament law, right? Even though the law and the prophets bear witness to the fact that God is righteous, but God's righteousness can be seen somewhere else. His moral perfection can now be seen through faith in Jesus Christ. Right? To those who believe in Jesus, we can see God's moral perfection now. So we all know that every human being's ultimate problem is that sin causes us to miss the mark of God's glory. We talked about how sin is missing the mark. We miss it. We, we start to see other things as more glorious than who God is. Sin has everything to do with failing to love God's glory above everything else. And we belittle God's glory and we cherish other glorious things that aren't so glorious. Now we need to be restored back to God. And so we need to be justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that can only be found in Jesus. And so that's where we're at so far. We're at verse 25. And this is where things just get cray cray. Check out verse 25. In speaking about Jesus, He writes, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Have you ever thought that it was God who literally put Jesus forward to be crucified? Like like there's a lineup of sacrifices and God's like, nope, Jesus is gonna be the one. 
Jesus is the one he put forward publicly on a cross. It was God in his determinate counsel, foreknowledge, and sovereignty who offered Jesus up to be what? What does it say? He was offered, to, he was put forward as a propitiation. Can you say that? One, two, three. Propitiation. That's a fun word. It literally means satisfaction. So we sang about it earlier in, in Christ alone. It said the wrath of God was satisfied. It was propitiated is what that means. Let me try to give you an illustration of it, though this illustration will fall miserably short of what it actually means. Um, so ladies, you remember how when you got pregnant, right? When you were pregnant, uh, you, you found yourself just having these internal cravings for certain foods that you just couldn't explain. Uh, can somebody give me an example? Just shout out a random craving that you had while you were, you were pregnant. Spicy. So, wow, hot foods. How did that go well with pregnancy? <laughs> Not good at all. No, it's a, not good. Anybody else? Spicy. What else? Wonton soup. See, there's craving. Can you explain it? My wife's was pickles. Cookie. Okay. So you have these cravings, right? And husbands, what did that mean for you? You went to whatever length it took for you to make sure that that craving was satisfied, AKA propitiated. So that meant you would go to the Walmart or to the local store at midnight just to make sure that your wife's cravings would be satisfied. Is that not true? So in the similar fashion, Christ was satisfying that craving. Christ propitiated that wrath. He died to satisfy the debt that our sin had demanded. And that can only be satisfied by Jesus alone, propitiated. So God offered Jesus as the propitiation, the satisfaction for wrath. And look at verse 25, look at the second part. Because it says, why? Why did God offer Jesus as the propitiation? Verse 25, this was to show God's righteousness. God put Christ forward in order to display how morally perfect God truly is. But you, you got to ask the question, why, why was that even in question? Why was that even doubted? Why, why would that even need to be explained? Or why would we need that question answered? Why do we need to know that God is morally perfect? Well, the sentence continues, right? This was to show God's righteousness because in God's divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. He'd passed over them. So let me try to give you a way that this would legally work out. Let's say, for example, uh, you remember Osama bin Laden, right? The man found guilty of uh, the 9-11 terrorist attacks. Right? Let's say that he was captured alive. Right? Let's say they invaded and they captured it alive, brought him before a jury, brought him before a judge. They presented all the evidence and the evidence was overwhelmingly convicting. The jury said, yeah, he's absolutely guilty. That's the verdict. So the judge receives the verdict, guilty. But let's say this, let's say the judge said, all right, yeah. The verdict says you're guilty. I agree with it. You are truly guilty, but I'm going to ignore your sentencing. 
You're not gonna receive the punishment required by the law for such treasonous acts, for such terrorizing acts. You can go, you're free. What do you think the world would do if that's what happened? They'd say, who paid that judge off? Or where does that judge find his morality? How is that right? That doesn't make sense. How could someone so guilty escape the full punishment of the law? Get that judge off the seat, find someone new and try it again. And yet we saw in Exodus 34 that God himself says that he is slow to anger. He is patient. He's willing to endure our sin and not subject us to the full punishment of the law at the time. So of course, there were gonna be some questions about the very character of God. How can God be both slow to anger and morally perfect, righteous? How can God be both just and patient? How, How does that work out? That's what the question was. And Jesus on the cross is the answer. It solves the problem. The cross of Jesus proves that God truly is morally good, that he is perfect in all his ways and judgments. Continue on into verse 26. Why did he do this? It was to show God's righteousness at the present time so that God might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So can you see it now? I told you Jesus died for God. That wasn't just heresy. Can you see it? Can you see why Jesus would die for God? Everything leading up to Jesus's death on the cross before his birth, death, burial, and resurrection, everything leading up to that point only worked to show us so much of who God was and left us questioning some things, right? It wasn't the full picture of who God is until Jesus invades and goes all the way to the cross. Guys, God didn't just put Jesus forward to solve our problems. He didn't just put Jesus forward to forgive us of our sins. God put Jesus forward to clarify who all God really is. God put Jesus forward to show us what his character is really like. As this is what one author would say is the innermost meaning of the cross. When you look at the cross, this is probably what's tucked in there the deepest and it's at the core of it all. And in the highest sense that I can explain it to you, God put Jesus forward and suffered the crucifixion of his own son to show us the fullness of his character, a.k.a. his glory. This is why Jesus died for God, to clearly show the world once and for all how beautiful our God is. So when you and I sit and we look at the cross of our Savior, we are looking at the very character of our God. And so this is the main truth that I'm trying to 
cooperate with the Spirit in so that the Spirit would convince our hearts of this because this radically changes a lot of how we perceive what the cross is for and how we handle the cross on a day-to-day basis. Guys, the cross is the crossroads of all God's glory. Can you say that with me? One, two, three. The cross is the crossroads of all God's glory. Remember, God's glory is the beautiful perfections of his sovereign character, right? This means that at the cross, we're going to see all that God is most fully on display this side of eternity. There's nothing higher. There's no higher mountaintop to climb to get to see how beautiful God's glory is. The cross is it, right? This means that at the cross, we're gonna see all that God is. We saw this in the text, right? We saw in the text that God crucifying his only son shows us that he is morally righteous, that he is perfect, he is just. He is a judge who graciously justifies sinners. We see that in the text. We see that that's part of his character. But we also see elsewhere in scripture that God putting forward his own son to die on the cross was him showing us his own love, right? Romans 5, 8. But God shows his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's God showing us his heart in the death of his own son. Or what about Ephesians 1, right? Where we're gonna see that in Jesus's death, God is showing us that he's forgiving at the car of who he is, that he has an innumerable riches of grace that he's willing to pour out on us, that he is infinite in his wisdom. Check out Ephesians 1, verse seven and eight. In Jesus, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his what? Grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. Guys, right after this in verse 11, God shows us how generous and sovereign he is in putting forward Jesus on the cross. And then in verse Corinthians one, we see that the cross is designed to be showing off God's incredible power. Guys, the cross is literally meant to display every characteristic of God in full high def. For us to behold, for us to enjoy, for us to see clearly without any shadows. Guys, at the cross, you and I see God's mercy ridding us of our guilt and helping us in our misery. We see God's grace in giving us the greatest gift that we didn't deserve. We see God's patience in enduring the mocking and enduring the beating and the reviling from sinners, right? We see God's anger in the wrath that he poured out on his only son. We see God's love through the forgiveness of sinners. We see God's faithfulness to keep his promises towards us that he even made in Genesis three hundreds of years beforehand. We see God's justice in the judgment of our own sin. We see God's power through the defeat of Satan's sin and death once and for all. We see God's wisdom in upholding his holiness, yet making a way for sinners to enter into his presence. We see God's sovereignty in ensuring Jesus made it to the cross as a sacrifice for all sin once and for all. We see God's humility in enduring the shame as dying as a criminal. We see God's kindness in wanting us to be right with him. We see God's joy in paying whatever price it costs to have us back. So do you and I, do we really wanna know what our God is like? Then look to the bloody cross. Look at it. 
where you see his only son dying for you and me, there we see every part of God's glory on full display. And can you think about that for a second? The most spectacular display of God's highest glory is in a bloody instrument of torture and death. That's scandalous. God determined that his greatest glory would be displayed in his greatest suffering. Guys, this is, this is why the cross is so important. This is why the beauty of the cross can never really be exhausted. This is why our joy in the cross can never truly run dry. This is why the meaning of the cross always falls fresh on every situation in life. This is why God creates Christ-likeness in us the more we look at the cross because we're looking at the very character of God when we see it. So when you and I, Go before the Lord and we're gonna ask him, God, would you please show me your glory because I wanna see it and be transformed by it. Guys, we don't have to wait long. We don't have to wonder if he's gonna show up. He already did. He already laid down his own life for us. We don't have to sit and wait. All right, God, I'm waiting for you to show up. He showed up. He showed his glory on full display. Look at the cross. Guys, Moses only saw in part and heard in part We see it in full. We know him in full. And so this is why we as Christians let our whole lives be defined by this. We never graduate from the cross. We never leave this to go on to bigger and better things. We don't go, all right, at first I needed this, but now I'm good enough and I can just go before the Lord on my own. No, we always stay here. We always sit at the foot of this. We never leave this. We always run to this. We always depend on this. We always meditate on this. We always sit and be encouraged by this. This is our foundation. This is our life. This is the air that we breathe as Christians. We require the cross. We marvel at it. And we invite others to sit at the foot of it with us and marvel at our God. And why? Because the cross is the crossroads of all God's glory. It's the hardest thing to understand. Because it's full of the glory of God. Sorry, I got to catch my breath. So here's how I've seen this played out in my own life personally. Right, because this I don't want you to just know this up here. I want you to believe this here and let this infiltrate how you interact with the cross every single day, with how you understand your full dependence upon what all God accomplished while his son was on the cross. All right, so here's how this has influenced my life. Uh, it is by God's grace that uh, I could say that half my life I've spent walking with Jesus. I'm 30 years old. It's out there now for those who didn't know. Sorry. I wish I were older. 30 years old. At 15 years old, I came to know Christ as my Savior ultimately. I started following him. And for the last 15 years, for the last half of my life, I have noticed that there are some trends in my walk with Christ. There are those days in the last several years 
where it, it's those mornings where you kind of just get up and you're, you're, you've pressed the snooze button too many times and you're already running late, so you just quick hop on your phone to try to get caught up with everything that's happening in the world because apparently it's not actually happened until you knew about it. And so you, you scroll through your phone and then you try to rush to get ready. You eat your breakfast, you get out in the day and you just realize that you really didn't even spend any time pausing and preparing your heart before the Lord, sitting in the truth of the gospel. I've found that those days where I just kind of rush into my day, where I don't actually tune the instruments before the orchestra, I found that those days I'll be a little more short-tempered, a little less wise, much more anxious, less forgiving, more capable of saying really dumb things and doing really dumb things. I'm less excited to go home to my family at the end of the day. I'm more prone to wanting to separate myself from others. I'm less kind, I'm more critical, pretty much more walking in the flesh and not walking by the spirit. On those days where I've not gone before the Lord and rested myself in these truths that the gospel shouts so clearly to me. Have you seen that in yourself? I wouldn't be surprised because there's a reason for that. When we fail to routinely sit at the foot of the cross and rest in the truths that it's speaking to us, eventually our love will grow cold. Our affection for God will die out. Our zeal for being more like Christ will wane. All because we've stopped looking at the glory of God on full display in the cross. As I, I hear, I've heard in my life, too many Christians complaining about how they're not seeing the power of God in their life. And it's simply because they've stopped looking at the power of God on the cross. They've wandered off from that. I can also tell you in my life, in my walk with Jesus, but there have been those days where I wake up and there's just this urgency to really quick grab some coffee and go down with my Bible and my journal and I get on my knees. And usually when I'm on my knees, that usually beckons the kids to just start crawling on me. But I come before the cross. Not that I physically have one in my basement, but it's just mentally and spiritually there. And I see the wounds that my sins have caused. And I confess my sin to the Lord, receive the forgiveness that he's already won for me. And I apply it in understanding that I am no longer bound by the guilt and shame that I once was. I understand at the cross then that also to move into this day with any kind of hope for bearing any fruit for God, it's gotta be him who does it. And so I ask the Lord, would you, would you do these things in me? Because I know I am not powerful to do them in myself. And from that tuning, I move into my day. And usually it's those days, them some sweet days, where, I, where I, I find myself to be more in love with God's heart, more in tune with his will, more in step with his mission, and more walking according to his spirit. I kind of like myself on those days a lot better. It's because I look more like God the more I look at the cross. I am transformed by the glory that is on full display in the cross.
So if you want an adrenaline boost to you looking more like Jesus, to you being transformed, renewed in your mind, the catalyst is to develop the ethical habit of looking at the cross of Christ often. Because that's where we see God's full display of glory. So I want to challenge you guys, right? I'm going to tell you something to do, but that's not going to be enough, right? I can tell you something to do, and if you don't do it, you just feel guilty, right? So I'm I'm not trying to ultimately get at that. What I'm trying to get you at is to say, don't start anything in your day until you've renewed your mind in the truth of the gospel, until you've renewed your mind at the core of the cross with all that it's shouting to us in all of its truth, the truth that I don't have to bear the guilt and shame of my sinfulness, Jesus bore it all, so I am free this day. I don't have to be good enough today, Jesus was good enough. In fact, I don't even have to be perfect today. Jesus is my perfection. I don't don't have to win the approval of man today. My dad in heaven already approved of me in Jesus and is invested in my life more than anybody else could be. When you sit at the foot of the cross where all the glory of God is cross-roading together, when you renew your mind in those truths and let God's spirit convince you of them deep down in your heart, you are transformed to look more like God in Christ. So what I'm saying ultimately is keep going to the crossroads of God's glory and let your mind be renewed by the truths that the cross is shouting to you. And you will find yourself to be a transformed man or woman looking more like Jesus than ever before. Look to the bloody cross and never leave. That would be my challenge for you. And I believe it's the most important thing about the Christian life. We hope this message helps you multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit waynesboroughfm.com.